about now? One person knows. Okay, that's good. All right, we are continuing talking about shadows of uh, Golgotha. We're going through the Old Testament, and we are studying all the types and the pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. We have arrived to Isaiah 53. This is week 54, probably, or 53, since we started talking about shadows of Golgotha. This is week 10 in Isaiah 53. And um, I actually am having a class coming up, so I'm taking some time off from work, and I'm able to study a little bit ahead of time. Um, I think after today, we're going to have five more uh, services in Isaiah 53, and then probably two more or something like that in Zechariah, and then we should be done with Shadows of Golgotha. That will be um, almost a year and a half since we started, so praise God for that. I'm thinking afterward we're probably going to start in Hebrews. Since we just did the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, it will make perfect sense to go into Hebrews since pretty much Hebrews is built on the Old Testament and what Jesus has done for us there. So we're going to start doing that as well. Um, We're actually going to stop at uh, the first part only of verse 8 in Isaiah 53. And it reads this, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Amen? Uh, that's it. This is the part we're going to talk about today. Um, if you remember, two weeks ago, we went over verses 7, 8, and 9 of Isaiah 53. We broke it down pretty much word by word or phrase by phrase. And we said that the main theme of these three verses is, anybody remembers? How the servant was treated unjustly, and yet he just was quiet and he endured the injustice that he has been treated with. Amen? That is the point of verse 7, 8, and 9. That phrase right here in verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. It's just too deep, so I just, you know, touched base on it two weeks ago. But today, we're just going to stop and we're going to pause and we're going to study it a little bit in depth. If you remember two, two weeks ago, we said by, this phrase is really hard to understand, even in the Hebrew. It's very difficult. What is the exact meaning that Isaiah is trying to convey? But the bottom line is, the main point is, the servant, which is Jesus the Messiah, was unjustly treated. He went through a legal trial, but this legal trial was corrupt, and he was unjustly treated. And then the phrase, he was taken away, if you remember also two weeks ago, we said that the idea here is he was rushed through that trial. It wasn't really uh, deliberate, taking your time, trying to figure out what is right. He was just rushed through that trial that was corrupt and unjust throughout for him, yet he went through it anyways. That's pretty much what Isaiah was telling us here. And if you remember what we talked about two weeks ago as well, that phrase was quoted by Philip in Acts chapter 8. And Philip quoted the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of Isaiah. And it reads a little bit different. It reads, in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And again, if I'm touching based on what we talked about before, it's still a hard phrase to understand. You don't know exactly what the Greek here is trying to tell us. But the idea, the point is still valid that the, the, the servant was so humbled, was so humiliated that he was treated so unjustly throughout. Amen. So again, the idea over and over is a legal trial that was corrupt and through which the servant was rushed and unjustly 
treated. So let's apply that to Jesus. And let's see how Jesus really truly was by oppression and by judgment, he was taken away. He was rushed through a corrupt legal process that throughout he was treated unjustly. So let's dig into the New Testament and see how that is really a prophecy about Christ. Let's start. So why was the trial that Jesus went through before the cross was corrupt? I think the first reason, the number one purpose reason why this was a corrupt, because Jesus was actually judged even before the trial has begun. The Pharisees and the leaders of Israel at that time, they just wanted to get rid of him. Amen. And then the trial that they, they did, they just like, um, like a formality, a matter of formality. They really didn't care about it. They really wasn't trying to do justice by him. They just wanted to kill him one way or another. The trial was just a front that they put. So they say, oh, we tried him and we decided that he deserved to die. We see that, uh, we see that throughout the ministry of Christ. Actually, in, in Matthew 12, 14, we read about the first time that the Jews wanted to kill Jesus after he healed on the Sabbath. We read that the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. That's the first time we read about them trying to kill Jesus. The second time we read about it is we see that they tried to capture him twice at least before Judas uh, betrayed him and, and gave him up to them. We read about that in John 7 and in John 10 that twice they tried to capture him and they tried to kill him. And then if we move to John 11, we see that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And what happened when Lazarus is being raised from the dead? Verses 53 and 57. Look at this. Then from that day forth, from the day Jesus raised Lazarus, they took counsel together to put him to death. Now, both the chief priest and the Pharisees had uh, given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, that they should show him so they might take him. So that's John 11. And then even two days before Jesus was betrayed by Judas, we see that the Pharisees wanted to kill him no matter what. The crafty part is, they said this, let's just not do it during the feast so that people will not rise against us. So they were determined to kill him no matter what. Amen? And the fact that Judas betrayed him, the fact that they did a, a trial for him, it's all again a matter of formality. The deal was done. They were going to get rid of him no matter how just or, or how right Jesus was or how innocent he was. They would not care about that. Do you see how he was really was taken by oppression and by judgment? Amen? Now, this is so good. Um, Jesus... I think one of the preachers in Egypt where I grew up told me, said that one time, and it's stuck in my brain. I don't know where I get this from, but Jesus went through seven trials during the crucifixion. He um, went through uh, three trials by the Jews and then three trials by the Romans, and then he ultimately was tried by God on the cross. The, an article here I just quoted called the, Inter the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia has a wonderful job amazing really they just merged all the gospels together and constructed a chron chronological events of how did the trials went and they just mix all the gospels together it's beautiful we're just going to go through that uh, real quick so again jesus went through seven trials 
The first three was under the Jews, and then three under the Romans, and then he ultimately was tried by God um, on the cross. The first time, let's go be the trials before the Jews. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas goes there with the crowd, some Roman soldiers, and a bunch of you know, people. They capture Jesus. And the first thing they do after they capture Jesus is, we read about in John 18, verse 19 to verse 23, they take him to the high priest who's called Ananias. That's the, the high priest. So this is a tricky situation because uh, Ananias was the, the high priest of that time, but he was misplaced by the Romans. So the Romans took him away, and they placed somebody else called uh, Caiaphas, which is his son-in-law, to be the high priest in Israel during that time. Okay? You guys follow me? So Caiaphas was repla has replaced Annas, who was the high priest, by the Romans. The tricky part is, in the book of Numbers, we read that the high priest is a high priest for life. So from the Jewish perspective, they still might have considered uh, Annas to be the, really the high priest of that time, you know. And Caiaphas uh, was just the one that the Romans has put in. So first time Jesus is being taken to Ananias, the, the, the original high priest that is not functioning as a high priest at that time. Remember, Jesus was caught at night, right? And they took him there right away. And right from the get-go, and uh, Ananias start questioning Jesus, who he is, what's his doctrine, what he's doing, and what he believes in. Now, this is absolutely illegal. Jesus should have not been taken to a person to be interrogated. If, if they really wanted to try Jesus, they should have taken him to the Sanhedrin, take him to the, to the court, not to a private person, and they, that person tried to interrogate Jesus and try to incriminate him, trying to have him say something wrong so they can catch him in that saying. Amen? So they go there, try to question him. Jesus doesn't answer him much. Jesus is being mistreated. Ananias doesn't get anything out of him. So he sent him to Caiaphas, which is the, the, the functioning high priest by the Romans of that time. Now, Caiaphas at that time was in the Sanhedrin. So when, when the Bible in John 18, 24 send, say that they sent him to Caiaphas, that means they sent him to the Sanhedrin, which is the, the legal authority, the court of that time. Amen? So he, Jesus goes there goes to the Sanhedrin, and remember, this is all at night. This is like, we're talking, there is no court usually at night, right? So probably not a lot of people showed up, members of that Sanhedrin. There is not that many of them who would show up at night, maybe a, a, a big punch of them, but not everybody would show up at that night uh, session. And then Matthew starts telling us what happened. On, now Jesus went to his second trial before the Sanhedrin. Matthew in 26, 59 to 60, it tells us what happened there. It says that the, now the chief priests, the chief priests, which is uh, Caiaphas and the elders and the, um, and the council, sought false testimony. Look at this. Sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found None. How innocent can you be that they try to find a false witness and yet they still can't find even, not a true witness, a false witness. Amen? Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. So they have false witnesses coming forward, but their testimony doesn't match. Remember the Old Testament say, on the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word must be established. Amen? So in the Jewish 
law system, court system, legal system, you cannot just condemn somebody by one testimony. You have to have two who agree on something wrong this person did. And they could not find any two, even though everybody's coming up with their own stuff, they could not find two witnesses who would agree on something wrong that Jesus has done. And finally, finally, we have two witnesses who remotely, there's some discrepancy between what they said, but they kind of vaguely said the same thing that Jesus said, I will tear that temple down, tear that temple down, and I will build it up in three days. Even with that, their testimony would not be correct. Their, their, their false testimony was not 100% in line, yet they used that as a way so they can proceed forward with the trial against Jesus. And then because of the lack of the witnesses and nothing is actually they can hold so far as a legal evidence that Jesus has done something wrong. Now they should actually technically at this point let Jesus go. There's no witnesses to incriminate him. Nobody can come forward and say he did wrong and here's why and I witness that. Now Caiaphas the high priest start interrogating Jesus straight forward because again he's trying to get something out of Jesus so he can incriminate him. And that's totally illegal. It's like the witness come forward, bring the accusation against the, the defendant, and then the judge should cross-examine both the defendant and the witnesses, and then they come to a conclusion. They should not interrogate the, the, the actual defendant and try to incriminate him. You know, here in America, we have I plead the fifth. Exact same thing was during the Jewish time, that the, the defendant could plead the fifth and not incriminate himself. But they did not do that with Jesus because he was taken by oppression and by judgment and his judgment was just rushed through. They were not caring about justice. They just wanted to kill him. So the high priest goes to Jesus trying to um, uh, interrogate him, to incriminate him. And he says, do you hear these that are testifying against you? What are you going to say? But Jesus was silent. So the high priest now trying to make it harder, get it hotter on Jesus. And then he said, I put you under oath by the living God. Now he's trying to push Jesus somehow to talk. I put you under oath under, um, by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus told him, yes, I am. You, I told you that many times before. It's not like I'm just claiming that right now. And from that time forward, you'll see the son of man coming down on the, from the clouds. And then he answered and said, <clears throat> what did he say? He is deserving death. He issued his uh, verdict right away that Jesus must die because of that. Now, the whole process, again, was illegal and corrupt, and there is no justice in it. According to the Jewish law, let's just highlight a couple of things. According to the Jewish law, any capital trial, remember they're trying to put Jesus to death, okay? Any capital trial should neither be, be, should be gone or proceed at night. That's just the law. If you're going to put somebody to death, do it after you wake up in the morning and get your Starbucks. I think that's fair, right? <laughs> so there is no legal capital trial that should start or, or, or proceed at night. That was not the case with Jesus. It was Jesus should not have gone to uh, Ananias first, but they did. And then we see the judges actively pursuing false witnesses. This is as corrupt as it gets. The judge is trying to go out of his way to pursue false witnesses. Again, as the defendant, which was the case with Jesus. With all the false witnesses, again, nobody would agree on it. And they should have let Jesus go right there and then. Because there is no two witnesses who would agree that he has done something wrong. 
And not only that, under, we talked about this, under the law, that the accused cannot be convicted in his own answers or admission. This is the law of the Jewish people at that time. Like I plead the fifth, it's the exact same thing. You cannot incriminate yourself. Somebody else has to bring the charges against you. But again, that's what Isaiah prophesied 700 years ago, right? That he, was, he will be treated unjustly and he will be rushed through that trial. Now, a verdict of acquittal can be rendered at the same day of the trial. So if they wanted to let Jesus go free, they can let him go free the same day of the trial. But under the Jewish law, any other verdict, especially if you're going to put somebody to death, it should not be uh, claimed or they should not say that verdict the same day of the trial. They should wait at least one day so they can make the final decision if that person is worthy of death, which makes sense. They just give themselves some time to process the evidence so that you will not treat somebody unjustly. But is that what happened with Jesus? No. The high priest, I put you under oath by God. Tell me, are you the son of the living God? Jesus said yes. What does he say right after that? The verdict is out. He is deserving of death. That should not have happened. The high priest should have at least waited till the next morning to, ver to issue that verdict. And then... Under the Jewish law, there should be somebody in the Sanhedrin, a judge or a, or a member, who would actually look out for the defendant and try to vindicate his case. That was not the case with Jesus. They were all against him. And look how uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, spoke in Matthew, um, which say 26, 56 to, uh, 50 to 66. Look at his wording. This is very interesting. Look at this. Now you have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? Now, this is messy and this is tricky. He should have not said, now you have heard this blasphemy, what you think. Because as a high priest, as the ultimate judge in that court, he should not have declared what Jesus said already as a blasphemy. He should have said, what do you guys think about what he said? And then everybody expressed his opinion. And then he comes out with the final verdict, if that is a blasphemy or not. But he did not do that. He issued his verdict first. This is a blasphemy. I'm the ultimate judge. This is done deal. And then just for a matter of formality, what do you think? Again, Jesus was rushed through an illegal and a corrupt um, trial. He was not being treated justly. And then, that's at night. They, everybody goes home. They already issued the verdict. Jesus is going to die. And then the very next morning, as early as it was day, the Bible say. What happened? They bring Jesus back to the Sanhedrin. Now there have more people coming. Probably the whole, uh, the full, the full uh, members are there now. But then they don't bring any witnesses. Now this is supposed to be their legal trial. Everything has happened before that. You know, sometimes here in America, we let the defendant go off the hook because the process was corrupt, right? Even though the evidence is right, but the way you obtain the evidence was wrong, therefore, you can let the person off the hook because the process of obtaining the evidence was wrong, right? Was corrupt, right? That should have been the case with Jesus. Even if Jesus was guilty, the process of the, how they interrogated him and how they tried to already issued a verdict, the process is so corrupt, they should have let him go just based on the corruption of the process and how the process is against the law. But to put some sort of formality, some front on uh, legitimacy on what they're doing, they, they, they adjourn again the next morning. And now probably there is more people, more scribes, more priests are there. Again, 
That should have been the trial. The trial should have started right there, and they should bring witnesses and try to find the, the, the should bring the witnesses who will testify against Jesus. But we don't see none of that. They don't bring witnesses right from the get go. The high priest tell Jesus, "Tell us if you're the Christ right away from the get go. Tell us if you're the Christ." But he said to them, "I tell you, you will not. You will by no means believe. And if I also ask." And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. So they right away go into interrogating Jesus without even trying to question any witnessing or having any witnessing. And then they again, they, they issue the verdict that Jesus is worthy of death, even though there is nobody that is coming against him to accuse him of anything. This is a corrupt trial as well. Even that morning trial was corrupt because number one, there is no witnesses. It should not be executed this way. Number two, holding the morning um, session in a feast day. Remember that was the Passover day? That is a day off. There should be nobody in court that day, right? But remember what Isaiah said about Jesus, that he was rushed through the legal process, right? They didn't care about doing the right thing. They didn't care about doing it in a timely manner. They just wanted to rush Jesus through the whole process. So even though they should have not been adjourned on a feast day, they did it anyway because they just wanted to get rid of him ASAP. And then finally here we see that the issuing a verdict with low legal evidence. Yeah, like he, they just right away. He's guilty. He need to die. What evidence you have? Nothing. It's a done deal. So that is the three trials that Jesus went through under the Jews. The first one with the high priest Aeneas, and then the Sanhedrin in the, at night and then in the morning. But remember, Israel at that time was under Roman occupation. So they cannot really kill him even if they want to. They have to take him to the Romans so the Romans can execute him. So they issue their verdict. Now they, they want to kill him. So they take him to the Romans. And under the Romans, Jesus endured three other trials. He started with Pilate and then Herod and then back to Pilate. So he's been back and forth between these two uh, Romans uh, governors. The first time we read about them taking him to Pilate was in, in John 18, 28 to 30. And look at this. If you skip with me three lines or something, the very end of line three, here's what Pilate was asking them. What accusation do you bring against this man? Here is the judge asking the, the persecutor, what accusation do you bring against this man? Look at this answer. Very, very profound. If this man was not an evildoer, we would have not delivered him up to you. Really? Really? Is this how a judge would work? If you bring, a, if, if you go to a court and the judge was asked the persecutor, what has this guy did? Oh, you know, if he wasn't that bad, he won't be here. That's the answer. That's just, again, they're just not being just. They're not treating Jesus rightly. Now, Pilate perceived that. He knows they're just being deceitful and he really doesn't die. So what does he answer them? He said, take him yourself and judge him according to your law. He's like, this is just too much of a joke. You just, I don't want to deal with it. You take him and you do whatever you want. That's in John 18, 31. But they were afraid that he really, they don't have a case and Pilate will let him go. So now we pick up from Luke what happened after that right away. They start stirring the crowd and they, stay, they, they began to accuse him saying, we found this man, uh, perverting our nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he is king. So they brought three accusations against him, right? That's from Luke now, from Luke 23 two. 
They said, number one, he's perverting our nation. Number two, he's forbidding to give taxes to Caesar. And number three, he's claiming to himself to be a king. Now, the one that seems to pique Pilate's interest really is the fact that Jesus claimed to be a king. Because, you know, now that we're talking about, you know, uh, somebody's trying to overthrow the government. Um, let me back off. When, when they took the, the Jesus to, to Pilate, Pilate was in his palace. They let Jesus go in, but the actual leaders of Israel did not want to go in because they're too pure. Look at this. They're killing somebody innocent, innocent, innocent person. They're shedding his blood, and yet they're so legalistic, they don't want to get inside the governor's palace of that day. Anyways, so Pilate, okay, now they're saying that Jesus is a king. That's a serious matter. He goes inside. He asks Jesus, are you king? And Jesus said, well, my kingdom is not from this world. I have a spiritual kingdom. What did Pilate do after he examines Jesus? We read about that in John 18, 38. He said, he goes out to them and he said, I find no fault in him at all. Now, right there. And right then, once Pilate said the word all, Jesus should have been dismissed right away. Yeah. Right? When the judge say, okay, you're innocent. What else do we need? We don't need anything else, right? Jesus should have gone right, then, right there and then. But is that what happened? No. Nope. Why? Because Isaiah said 700 years ago that he was treated with injustice. He was taken by oppression and um, he was taken by oppression and he was just rushed through that legal corrupt process. So anyways, so this Pilate said, let him go. And they said, no, 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 not too fast. Now they're stirring the crowd even more. We pick that portion now again from Luke. So Luke and, and, and John here is overlapping. Again, that article is wonderful how they mix them together and develop that chronological event. So they start stirring the crowd even harder and they say, well, he's teaching, um, um, well, but they, were, um, but they were the more fierce saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout Judea beginning from Galilee to this place. So they start stirring the people more and more. And they say that phrase, he's stirring up the people, started from Judea, beginning from Galilee. When Pilate heard the word Galilee, he's like, okay, that's what's going to get me off the hook. Because the governor of Galilee of that time was Herod. So Pilate said, great, I'll send him to Herod, and Herod will deal with him. I don't have to kill that innocent person, right? So he sent Jesus to Herod, and we pick that story from Luke 23, 8 to 11. Again, Herod, on the other hand, was fascinated about what he hears about Jesus. All what he wanted is a miracle. So he just asked Jesus for a miracle. Jesus is quiet. He doesn't say anything. Remember, we talked about that two weeks ago, that he was like a lamb before its shearer. He did not open his mouth. Isn't that wonderful? Like Isaiah, it's as if Isaiah had a front seat during the crucifixion and he's just describing to the T how Jesus will die and how the process will go down. Amen? It's just so powerful. So Jesus doesn't open a mouth. So the soldiers at Herod start beating him up and start mocking him. And then they send him back to Pilate. Again, Herod examined him and Herod could not find anything in Jesus that is worthy of death. Again, that's number two. Jesus could have gone free at this point. He was examined by Pilate, no guilt. He goes to another judge, no guilt. I mean, how many judges do you need? But he didn't care about justice. Amen. They just wanted to get rid of him anyways. Now, they send Jesus back to Pilate for his, what number trial we're in right now? 
Six, exactly. I'm, 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 I want to see who's following me. Yes. So now this is sixth trial. He goes back to Pilate, and now poor Pilate is trying to do everything he possibly can to let Jesus off the hook. He shouldn't. He's the judge. He should say, he's out, I'm done, and everybody go home, and that's it. He should, he should cool it out. But that was not the case. Let's see how that, that trials, that, that attempts that Pilate is trying to do now so they can let Jesus off the hook. He starts by, um, this time, he did not just bring the high priest, but he's bringing a whole lot more people. He brings priests and rulers. In, in, in Luke 23, 13, we read about that. Now he's getting bigger crowd from the Jews. Hopefully that he maybe split them up or something or get somebody to side with him. So it's not just the very few chief high priests that want to kill Jesus, but there's more people who can try to help him out to let Jesus off the hook. We read about that in Luke 23:13. And to make matters even worse for him, now a messenger comes from his house and his wife says, do nothing with that just and righteous man. He already knows he's just. Now... He's going to be sleeping on the couch. Amen. Um, his wife say, don't do anything with that righteous and just man. And then we read uh, after that, he's trying to persuade the people. So here is what Pilate is telling them in Luke 23, 14 to 15. He said, indeed, having examined him to in your presence, he cross-examined Jesus in front of the Pharisees and the people who are accusing him. And look at this. I have found no fault in his men concerning those things which you accuse him of. He's innocent. I examined all this accusation. There is nothing. And then verse 15. Neither, no, neither did the Herod. Neither Herod, the other governor, find nothing in him. For I sinned. For I send you back to him, and indeed nothing is deserving of death has been done by him. This is the judge saying that he is innocent. He's trying to persuade them so they can lead Jesus off the hook. So to be practical, he now brings Barabbas, and he puts Barabbas across from Jesus. And he said, well, it's your feast, and it, we're accustomed that I have to release somebody to you. And I think for me, this is me, there's no Bible for it, but I'm imagining that Pilate have chosen the worst criminal he has in his presence. Because he wanted to make the choice so easy and so obvious that at least he'll find maybe even few people from the crowd who will side with him that he can use them as an excuse to let Jesus go. Amen? So he picked up Parabas, who was probably one of the most wicked, again, there's no Bible, but this is me, he probably one of the most vile people that you can find in the prison of that time. And he puts Jesus on one side and Parabas on one side, and he tells the people, okay, now make a choice which one do you want and they choose a Barabbas that Barabbas will go free and that Jesus will go to be punished and we read this if you mix John and Luke together you'll find out that Pilate actually offered them that option three times so he gave it to them and they say oh let Barabbas go free he comes back at them and he comes back at them the third time if you mix these two stories from Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, we read the first time he's offering Barabbas as an, as an alternative and let Jesus go. But then if you go back to Luke, we read this in, um, let me see here, the second time. Now Pilate, that's in, um, in Luke 23, 20 to 21, Luke 23, that's the second time. Pilate is going back at them. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, is coming back at them the second time and called out to them. 
He said, come on, think about it more. Verse 21, but they shouted saying, crucify him, crucify him. That's Luke 23, 22, 21. And now for the third time, then he said to them the third time. That's Luke 23, 22. You guys follow me? You're with me? Okay. The third time, he said, why? What have he done? What evil has he done? I have found no reason of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go again. If... If he's not guilty, why you would even chastise him? But again, he, they don't care. They just don't care about justice. He said, I will chastise him and let him go. How many times he's trying to persuade them to take Jesus, to let Jesus go free and crucify Barabbas? Three times. And every single time, his attempt fell on a deaf ear. So... He tried now one more thing. He takes Jesus and he delivers them to his hand, to, 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 to the Romans' shoulder hands, and they scourged him. And we talked about the scourging many times before. Such a brutal process. The idea here is I, Pilate wanted to soften their hearts. So they scourged him, they tortured him, and now he's bringing him back in front of the crowd. And what does he say in John 19, 5? Behold the man. He's trying to soften their hearts. Like, okay, I know you don't like him, but look what I have done. Can we let him go now? Behold the man in John 19, 5. But when the crowd heard him, saw Jesus and heard him, what did they say? They said, um, but the crowd cried that, that he would be crucified. In response, Pilate declared his innocence again. And he said, you take him and crucify him for I have found no fault in him. And that's in John 19, 6. Then after a brief conversation with Jesus about him being the son of God, we read, From then Pilate sought to release him. That's John 19, 12. Do you see how many times Pilate is trying to release Jesus? Amen. So he brings Jesus in front of the crowd again. Okay. And this time he says, Behold your king. He brings him up the first time. He says, here he is. Should we let him go free? And he says, behold the man. And they say, no, crucify him. Probably Jesus was, after that Jesus went inside. Pilate go inside. He's asking him if he's the son of God. Jesus say yes. I mean, Pilate now is terrified. He's going to crucify the son of God. So he takes him out again in front of the crowd and he say, behold your king. This is your king. Okay. I mean, he's trying to soften the heart. Remember, this is the accusation that he's trying to make himself king. And Pilate said, this is your king. This is the one that's supposed to rule over you. Why don't you take him back? But they cried out and say, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And then Pilate is trying to again appeal to them and say, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered and said, we have no king but Caesar. Finally, Pilate washed his hand. I mean, again, talking about making a, putting up a show. That's what he did. He washed his hand in front of the multitude and he said, I'm innocent of the blood of this um, innocent man, righteous man. What they answer and say, his blood is on us and on our children. And they delivered Jesus to be crucified. Jesus stood before Pilate twice, right? And between Herod uh, and in front of Herod in between. Seven times, I counted seven times throughout the chronological events of the crucifixion where, where Pilate uttered these words, he is innocent. Seven different times. He's telling the Jews he is innocent. In John 18, 38, Luke 23, 14, 15, and 25, and 22, and in John 19, 4, 
and 6 and Matthew 27, 24. That's the chronological order. In the two times that Jesus stood before Pilate seven times, Pilate will utter these words. He is innocent. And what happened to that innocent man? He goes to the cross and he's being crucified. Amen? Do you guys see how Isaiah's word was absolutely not just true, but literal? That he was really taken by oppression and by judgment, and he was rushed through a corrupt and illegal trial just to get rid of him. Amen? Amen. And then Jesus goes to the cross, and for three dark hours, now he's being tried, not by man, but by the Father. Now, even that trial, Jesus was not treating justly. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen? Amen. I mean, God's law says that the soul that, is, that sins should pun, be punished, right? God never said that the son will bear the consequences or the, pay the penalty of his father or anything like that, right? And how many sins did Jesus commit? Nothing. According to the very law of God, Jesus should have not bear any punishment. But he did. I'm not saying that God was unjust. I'm just saying that Jesus bore the consequences and the sins that he didn't even deserve to die for because he actually bore your sins and my sins on the cross. Amen? Amen. Jesus was being punished for you and for me. And even the very laws of God was not very applicable to him during that time when he was on the cross. Amen? Amen. He was taken, let's say that phrase again together. It's just so powerful. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray.